Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. Commercial-free versions of past episodes. Podcasts, blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. Today we are rewinding back to August the 13th. 2013, 213. So Jason Voorhees will be waiting for you as you listen to this episode while you're running down the street and you hear ch 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 ha 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 ha. I don't know why I said that. I just saw the 213s and I had a flashback to being a, a kid in the 1980s and walking through the woods with my friends and hearing that sound in our heads as we talked about watching Jason on the TV the night before. Anyway, it had nothing to do with today's episode. Today's episode was originally 15 perennial herbs with medicinal uses. Again, originally August the 13th, 2013. I picked today's episode for this Rewind series because it's, there's nothing else like it. I tried to, in the uh, series. I've tried to always when I do these Rewind series for you when I'm away, I try to give you some diversity in them. Sometimes I put a theme in the middle and a couple episodes in a row that have something to do with each other, but usually I try to make them very diverse. So yesterday we talked about permaculture, so it kind of ties in there with the interview with Jeff Lawton, but this is really more about herbs and what they do. Now there's something I need to tell you about this episode, and I thought about not using it because of this fact, and I thought that was just a bad idea. So this episode leaned heavily on a small company called Sand Mountain Herbs, and I thought they were fantastic. I bought a lot of product for them. I tried to get them as an MSP vendor multiple times. To their detriment, I think they did not um, They did not accept that, because it, it, what I'm about to tell you may not have happened had they done so, because, you know, being an MSB mem- uh, supporting vendor can be very beneficial to a, especially a small company that might just need, you know, a, a couple dozen extra orders a month even will be the difference between staying in business or not. Their website's still up. All the pages that are linked to for each of the herbs today are still there. They either say sold out or buy them on Amazon, and then those link through Amazon affiliate links. So the person that owned this site clearly is not in the business directly anymore, so that's too bad. I left the legacy uh, links on this the show notes for today's episode for you, though, because they are fantastic about providing information on the herbs. In fact, I learned about not all, but many of these herbs from Sand Mountain Herbs and their pages, and then did further research and brought the ones that I've actually grown and used in my own uh, development here uh, for you today. So just know that when you hear me, and when I when we go back in time in a minute here and you hear me, you'll hear me actually make a call out to get in touch with these guys. A lot of you did. We couldn't get past... Well, I'll just say there's certain people that when you try to explain MSB to them, they don't get it. I honestly think if I charged people $500 to be in the MSB, I might go faster with some people. The fact that you're willing to do it for free for them, they don't get it. And then they have this compulsion about, what if the discount code gets out? Well, I lose because I'm the one that sells access to it. You should be getting a discount where you still make money, and then we'll just change the code. And in 15 years of doing this, it's never been a problem, but yet some people get stuck on that. Um, It's a weird thing with certain people. And in certain industries, it's even more weird. With like, I have still not been able to get somebody that does mushroom spawn. Mushroom people are freaking weirdos. It took forever to get you guys a uh, body armor uh, discount vendor, but I did manage to do that. So there is one of those in the MSB. But usually somebody like this would have been easy. This guy just wasn't. And so it doesn't surprise me that his business wasn't profitable enough to stick to the business as the core of what he had. So he just has an informational website, basically. So anyway, um, I do have a note about that in the show notes as well. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that so that you didn't think you could rely on this vendor any longer as a place to get your stuff. But you'll be able to find somebody that sells any of this stuff. And it's some really interesting herbs. The other thing is I mentioned an episode, a series in this on herbal action. So I did a four-part series, 10 herbal actions each, so 40 total herbal actions. Most of the time when I set up these rewinds, the resources links are pretty generic. They're basically our social media links and some stuff like that, right? They're not 
episode specific because some of these are so old. What I just explained has happened. A lot of the links are, especially like current event stuff and all, they're no longer relevant. Like a lot of websites disappear, etc. And I don't have time to like dig through the internet archive to find the Wayback Machine link and replace. So I just replace it with these generic links. I have added to those generic resource links, though, my Herbal Action series. I will tell you, if you want to go further into herbalism, those four episodes and those 40 Herbal Actions are on par with anything you would get like in a Master Herbalist course or something like that. They will take you to a level of understanding what herbs can do that... I don't think you'll find in a podcast. I'm not going to say you won't, because I don't know what other people have done. I don't spend all day long listening to other people's podcasts. But I, I, I would surmise that they're probably among the best education you can find on herbs and what herbs are capable of. And I want you to know that when you start hearing some of the herbal actions that I discussed today in these 15 herbs, understanding those as like a Rosetta Stone in understanding human health, and the role plants play in there. And when I learned about herbal actions far longer ago than when I started the Survival Podcast, it really made a lot of things more clear to me. And if you talk to a doctor, a regular medical doctor that prescribes drugs, or a pharmacist, and you start talking about these herbal actions, like a steptic or uh, or something like a uh, an astringent, right, or a, a hypnotic or a stomatic, they'll know exactly what you're saying. This stuff's not actually unique specifically just to herbs. There's many drugs that have these same primary actions, an adaptogen, an antimicrobial, an antiseptic, a uh, diaphoretic, right? These are all, and, and it is really pretty an amazing thing that there are herbs, there are plants that have all 40 of these herbal actions. So if you wanted like extra credit homework, it would be to go back and listen to the herbal action series. And the reason that none of those are part of the rewind series, they're all from 2011, um, is that I think I've already done that. I think I already left you herbal actions as some rewinds in the past. So I didn't want to do that again, but I did want to mention that given the episode that you're about to hear, which, again, is 15 perennial herbs with medicinal uses. That's the other thing, too. When I did this episode, I picked herbs that were perennial in nature so that once they were established in your system, <clears throat> they would hopefully become endemic and native to your property. With that, let's go ahead and rewind back. August 13, 2013, originally episode 1185. 15 perennial herbs with medicinal uses as we round out this week. You'll have one more week of rewinds, and then I will be back from California, and we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Until then, remember, while we have no commercial content on these episodes for rewinds, you can always help support the Survival Podcast and our work just by beginning your online shopping at tspaz.com. All right, with that wrapped up, I want to get into today's show. Uh, again, we're talking about 15 different perennial herbs today. And I want to go into each one, you know, just a little bit. I can't go deeply into 15. I would spend two, three hours on this show. Um, but give you kind of a, an, an understanding of how much is really available. I, I think a lot of people don't realize how much is available out there that you can grow in your own backyard. And a lot of this stuff is so hardy that it's great for gorilla gardening. And a lot of people want to do gorilla gardening, but they think, you know, if I put tomatoes over there, they need some care and what have you. And, and then people really recognize them as a tomato, so that's fine if they want to eat them. But a lot of times it creates problems where people yank them out because why is that there or something like that. Well, just about everything I'm going to tell you about today kind of would look like a weed or a beautiful meadow or something like that if it was gorilla gardened. And now you're spreading the ability to not just have food but medicine throughout neighborhoods and uh and, and creating those resources in case you or someone else ever needs them. And as I said at the beginning of today's show, I think the possibility that we might really need them is uh, is genuine uh, at this point in history. Anyway, on that, let's hope we don't, uh, but prepare for the worst as we always do while we hope for the best. And then let's also realize how many things that this stuff can do for us today. Also, there's a company I've ordered from many times, and a couple times I've sent them emails or included notes about wanting to work with them to get you guys a discount. 
I think they're an incredible company. Um, they've done a great job, but I have never heard back from them uh, with any request to consider a discount for the Members Brigade. I'd like your help with that today. I have a feeling that when I'm done today, a lot of you are going to haul butt over there and order some of this stuff I'm going to mention, and you may order some other things. Again, what I love about them is they have a selection of herbs that I've never seen put together under one roof before, and there's many things I can't find anywhere else that I can find there. The company's called Sand Mountain Herbs. And next to every herb that I'm going to mention today, I have a little link that says Seed Source. If you click on that, you'll go to not just Sand Mountain Herbs, but the page for that particular herb. Um, if you do order from them, from one to a hundred packets and anything in between, if you would do me a favor and in the notes in the order say, I learned about your company uh, from Jack Spirico, the survivalpodcast.com, and maybe even include a link to here. I'd really like to establish a, a, a relationship with this company. I've reached out to them a few times and not heard back. I haven't made a huge push or anything, but I have reached out and just not heard anything. Uh, from a customer service standpoint, I just did a recent order where I ordered a bunch of stuff. And it turned out four or five items were backordered. And I got a great email explaining to me what was backordered and even germination times for them and stuff like that. And uh, they immediately rebated me the part that they, they of the order that they couldn't fill. And they shipped quickly. And they shipped great product as always. So great feedback that way. Just I can't get in the door to either get them on in the air for an interview or get you guys a discount or both. So I think if a ton of orders came through and they realized how powerful this community is, maybe that would change. On that note, there is another company called Coz Comfrey. Um, right now, Comfrey Seed is uh, out of stock at Sand Mountain Herbs. I still put a link in for you there. But there's a link next to the Comfrey, which we're going to talk about today, that goes to a root and plant source. And this is Coz Comfrey. I ordered a bunch of Comfrey from them. They were the only people I could find that could get me any uh, plants and roots right now. Uh, they got everything to me. It took them about a month and a half to ship. They were back-ordered. Um, but the owner called me, and I never talked talk to him personally, but he left me a personal voicemail. Uh, he apologized. He included additional plants uh, to, to uh, apologize for taking so long. By the way, I had never complained. And he also included a bunch of DVD movies, all that were very much in sync with what we do at TSP. And uh, he included all of those at no cost, again, to apologize for being uh, late on the order. Do not think this man did this because he knows who TSP is and wanted to get in on my good side. Uh, my legal name, and this confuses people sometimes, is John. And uh, when I place an order for something like that with payment information, all I use my legal name of John. He didn't call me Jack. I don't think he has any idea who TSP is. I'm just a guy that ordered from him. He did great. If you order from him, also let him know about TSP and that you uh, found out about him. It is conceivable that from today's show, Mr. Co. of Coast Coffrey could end up severely back-ordered and even have to turn some uh, orders down. He's a small company. If we overwhelm him, please be understanding. But let him know that we'll be here in the future because... I like to see people that are filling a niche uh, rewarded for doing it well, and he is. So I just wanted to put that at the beginning of today's show today, uh, kind of you know, understanding that if we want to get a lot of the things like I'm talking about today, we need people that will provide it to us instead of just the fancy full-color catalogs that contain you know, the same you know, five dozen things that everybody else has. Uh, and we need to support those people, at least until we establish enough of a native population of this stuff that it becomes easier to find. So the first thing that I actually want to talk about today is a plant called figwort. Um, and I also want to say real quick before I get into the plants, um, I'm going to use a lot of words today like steptic and uh, you know, diuretic and all, all different types of words to explain what some of these plants do, right? Um, you know, constitutional or uh, tonifying or what have you. I did a series of 40 herbal actions, 10 per show. You might want to go back and listen to that if you've not heard it the first time around or even, you know, might want to listen to it a second time around. When you start to learn the actions of herbs, in other words, what does this herb do? And start, you start to realize a couple things. Number one, it gets much easier when you look up an herb to know, okay, that's what this thing does, because that's the words that will be used there. But two, you start to actually be able to analyze health a lot better. Just by knowing what they do, and it would be considered beneficial in certain areas, it starts to lead you down a path of understanding yourself and your health and the health of others a lot better. So I'm just going to recommend that. And I will, when I say a word like that today, explain the gist of it. But in that series, I go deeply into each one. So let's start out with figwort. 
Uh, figwort is known by a lot of other names, Carpenter's Square, Common Figwort, uh, Rose Noble, uh, a bunch of other stuff. I'm not going to be using uh, uh, Latinaic names because I am terrible at Latinaic pronunciation today. But, there, again, there will be a link for seeds for every one of these so you can know exactly what I'm talking about by going to the survivalpodcast.com and using that link even if you don't want to buy seeds. It's uh it's pretty universal in where you can grow in the United States. It's hardy from zones 3 to 8 as a perennial. Uh you could probably definitely push it into zone 9 uh and with some creative things you could get it into zone 2 if you really really wanted to. So it it can move up and down a little bit beyond what it says. Um it's really a great skin medication for rashes and scratches and bruises and things like that. That's that's one of its its really useful things. Some other things about it, here's where these words start coming in. It's diuretic, uh, and that means that it promotes urination. So it that that's actually a very beneficial thing in some situations where a person is maybe not producing enough urine, where they're getting hydrated sufficiently, but they're not converting over. It's also got anodyne properties, and anodyne basically means it's a pain reliever. Um, it is really... Uh, something that most people have never even heard of. When I talk to people about figwort, they're like figs, what you know, and it's 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 a it's a small plant. One thing I wanted to do is when I let off today's show is use like something that would always tip you off that something had medicinal uses. When you hear wort in any plant, like mugwort or figwort, right, or soapwort or anything uh, spiderwort or anything with wort in it. Uh, it almost always tips you off that there's some historical medicinal use for it. Maybe it's a folk medicinal use that hasn't been proven out by science. But it, if, if you hear wort, St. John's wort, for instance, you know that you're dealing with something that has some sort of... That doesn't mean go out and start eating it till you find out what it is. Please use care with anything I'm talking about today. And you know, look things up for yourself for dosages and things like that. I'm not talking about that today. Just the basic understanding of what these things do. Um, they are really great, again, though, at burns and swellings, and you can, you can use them for that simply by bruising them and uh, using them as a topical application. So by macerating them up in a, in a mortar and pestle or just doing it by hand and placing them on bruises uh, and swelling, they, they tend to do a lot to reduce that. Uh, it is one of those things that I think, again, people just don't know exists. I mean, how many of you guys have actually heard of figwort or have it growing in your yard or, your, you know, in your neighborhood? It's also an attractive plant. It's got kind of these interesting-looking little red flowers with a yellow center. It grows upright, bright green leaves. Um, so it's, it, it's, a, it's a beneficial plant. It has quite a bit of ability to attract other beneficial insects as well. And, again, it's perennial, so it'll come back for you year after year after year. The next herb I have for you today is largely thought of as being a, uh, a culinary herb, and in more of a vegetable than an herb in the way of, of the way that people think of it. It's called salad burnet. Salad burnet is also a perennial, and it's really great. It tastes like a nutty cucumber, and uh, so it goes great in dressings and salads and things like that. Think of it as a nutty cucumber flavored like lettuce-like plant that grows comes back every year, year after year after year. It, like many herbs that are like that, Good King Henry, etc., tends to be really good in the spring, the winter, spring, early summer. And as, as the temperatures go up and the summers get longer, it tends to get bitter. And then a lot of times you can prune it back a little bit and get some new growth in the fall before it you know, goes dormant for the winter. And uh, you end up with, uh, with, with another time of the year where it produces well. But like many things with greens... Hot summer weather equals bitterness. So it's, it's really a spring green, but a spring green that you don't have to plant. Um, and again, it has this nutty cucumber-like flavor. So how cool is that? Because, you know, if you think about a lot of these things, what's cool about them is they bring flavors to you at a time of the year when you can't get those flavors. So what I mean by that is you know, cucumbers are coming out of your ears in, in August, right? But you usually can't come up with cucumbers in March and April. This is uh, hardy of zones 5 through 8, so the majority, not all of, but the majority of the United States. Um, it is native to temperate regions of the northern hemisphere, so it's a native plant as well. Um, it, you, it's used again in cuisine, but it also is, its name really means, and I'm going to try to say this even though I say I'm not good at it, Sangrisorba uh, is, the, is, the, uh, is the family. So Sangrisorba minor. Uh, I do speak some pretty good Spanish, and sang, Sangria or Sangre 
blood, right? So it means blood plant. And it was originally used to stop internal bleeding and hemorrhages. And how effective it is for that, you know, it's uh, debatable. And if you have internal bleeding, you know, you need to be in an ER. But knowing this might be beneficial at some point in some kind of tragedy in the future. I'm just saying. Uh, but it is regarded as a septic. Uh, and a septic is like a septic pencil. Okay, so a septic pencil, you cut yourself shaving, you, you put it on there and it stops bleeding. And it works really good for that. So if you have a, a, a bleeding cut or, or scrape or something like that, and you can get yourself some salad burnet and macerate the leaves and put it on there, it will, it will cause it to clot very quickly. Now, it's not quick clot, right? It's not like quick clot where a guy's like got an artery spurting and you can shut it down with it or anything. This is more of your typical injury where you're just trying to stop the bleeding a little bit faster and maybe stop some seeping bleeding. Uh, and it does work really for that. It's also astringent, uh, and that means that it has, uh, you know, astringent properties. It's, it's got, you know, it's astringency is what makes your, you, your mouth pucker, which means it'll shrink and constrict body tissues, which is also going to help with stopping bleeding uh, or drawing out things as well. So uh, it's got all of that going for it. Again, salad burnet. Um, something you can eat on a daily basis and yet has uh, great uh, medicinal properties as well and, uh, and a lot of real benefit in a lot of real ways. Now, the next one is going to seem very culinary. I mean, you're, you're almost going to wonder why it's even in a medicinal herb show uh, when you first hear it, if you're familiar with it. It's called lemongrass. Uh, lemongrass is used heavily in uh, Taiwanese cooking, Vietnamese cooking, and a lot of other Asian dishes. It is a perennial, but it is only hardy in zone 11 plus. The nice thing is it's grass. It grows tall, and it comes back, and you cut it, and it grows back again, you cut it, it comes back again, you cut it, you got it, right? And you get a lot of it in a small area because it's like grass. It's a reed-like grass. Chop it up, use it, it comes back. Got it. A few, few pots of it here and there, kept outside most of the year, and then brought in in the winter. Uh, and you've got a nice house plant for your winter months and some greenery in the house and a great odor. Lemongrass, as it sounds, tastes like lemons. Um, and it's one of the ways that we can bring lemon flavor to things here in the United States where we can't grow a lemon and we have to buy lemons. So, for instance, yesterday, uh, or actually Sunday, uh, our, my new intern, Josiah, and I went out to a garden and we picked a bunch of uh, mint. And we made some mint tea with uh, with chamomile that was included, and I w couldn't figure out where I had put my dried lemons, so uh, we we uh, we didn't put lemon in it. But lemongrass would have served that role as well. Uh, so it's great for cooking. It's great for teas. Uh, the oil has been used to flavor teas for for a very long time. Uh, it's used in cosmetic industry. It's used to make perfume. It's easy to grow. It'll produce a ton for you, uh, but. You know, that's still pretty much like a culinary use. The reality, though, is traditionally it's been used for migraine headache relief. Um, and it has been proven in actual studies to be at least as effective as aspirin, but safer. Now, when you look at something that relieves a chronic pain condition, you're dealing with something that likely has anti-inflammatory properties, which is one of the herbal actions that's out there. It's one I probably don't have to explain what it means. Anti-inflammatory means it reduces inflammation, obviously. So it's got that going on. It's also considered a digestive aid. It promotes digestion and provides relief from gas, okay, or flatulence. It also helps the body to eliminate toxins. Um, it, it is very good for cleansing the kidney, the pancreas, the liver, and the bladder. These are all the parts of the urinary tract in, 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 system, and all of those things are designed to remove toxins. And if they're not working properly or at their optimum level, you end up with you know too much toxin in the body. Basically, you are surrounded by toxins. Your body actually, in some of its metabolic processes and digestive processes, produces certain toxins as a byproduct, and our urinary tract is one way in which we eliminate them. Anything you do that strengthens that has a tonifying effect on your overall health. So lemongrass does that for you as well. And there's even some new research 
that there may be some anti-carcinogenic effects of lemongrass, uh, not being a cure for cancer, but aids in the, in the, uh, the, the prevention of certain types of cancer. Uh, that's not been fully proven, but there's at least anecdotal evidence. Uh, one study was done by the Ben-Gurion University in Israel. Uh, and it was determined that the compound in lemongrass actually causes cancer cells to self-destruct. Now, we may not get a huge, you know, that may be something for science to work with and isolate and, and concentrate, um, and I'm not saying you're going to be able to go cure cancer with lemongrass, but if it has this property, um, again, thinking about my analogy from the beginning, do you want to try to restore health or do you want to keep health? And keeping the edge on the health knife, so to speak. This is a great, great herb for that. And it tastes great, and it smells good, and it's unique, and it's different, and not everybody has it. And all you have to do is just pick the pot up when it gets too cold and bring it in the house, and you'll have it for all perpetuity. So lemongrass, add that uh, to your planned list of perennials in the future. Next one I have for you is thought of as kind of an exotic thing that's uh, from far away and hard to grow, and it must be from tropical climates, and, and nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually hardy as a perennial from USDA zones 5 through 9, uh, which means that, yeah, you're not going to be growing it in Alaska or anything. Well, I guess you're not going to grow it in the Alaskan interior anyway, but that is the majority of our nation, uh, at, uh, 5 through 9. It's called Chinese wolfberry. It's also known as goji berry. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. It uh, is used a lot in Chinese culinary uh, uses, not in American Chinese food. But if you went to uh, traditional China, especially more, you know, get outside of Beijing and all up into the mountains, you'd find it very commonly used both in cooking and in teas and in medicinally as well. It's used to strengthen muscles and bone. It improves liver function. It restores vitality uh, and it improves vision. These are all things that it's traditionally known to do. Uh, it's also been shown to increase white blood cell counts. Uh, and, you know, when you look at somebody's white blood cell count, there's, there's two ways to look at it. One, is it elevated as in the body's fighting an infection? And, and that's, a, that's a bad thing when you have a highly elevated white blood cell count. Not because the, the blood cells are bad, but it's an indicator of infection. The, 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 the immune system's on overdrive. But having a better white blood cell count, you know, it can go the other way, be too low. So this is about that, again, keeping the edge on the health knife versus trying to restore health. Um, you can eat the berries raw as a snack. They can be added to soups and stews as well, kind of as a, as a unique flavor component there. My favorite way, actually, to use them is to have them dried like raisins and throw a handful into a cup of hot water and make a tea out of them. And after you're done with the tea, to eat three hydrated berries. I do have a warning for you, and somebody got very mad at me in the past for this. Um, you would think that anybody that would think that a large amount of dehydrated berries, um, you know, prune-like fruit, if eaten in large quantities, could have an effect on the body. In other words, yeah, it does. It can be somewhat laxative-like used in large quantities. So don't eat a pound of wolfberries because you will spend a day on the pot. However, that's good to know as well uh, to help promote digestive regularity uh, and, and, and reduce symptoms of constipation. They're, they're quite useful for that. I know that's something a lot of people don't want to talk about, but hey, you know, you got to go, you got to go. And if you got to go and you can't go, you got a problem. So they're useful for that as well. This thing's a nutritional powerhouse uh, and a, a medicinal powerhouse. And let me read to you so I don't miss anything uh, from the Plants for the Future, uh, Plants for a Future database on their medicinal uses of goji berry. Um, that site, by the way, is pfaf.org, pfaf.org. It's an incredible resource. I just want to kind of let you guys know that. Uh, but here we go, medicinal uses. A sweet tonic decoction is made from the fruits is used to lower blood pressure and blood cholesterol levels. It acts mainly on the liver and kidneys. The fruit is taken internally in the treatment of high blood pressure, diabetes, poor eyesight, vertigo, lumbargo, impotence, and menopausal complaints. The fruit is harvested when fully ripe and dried for later use. The root bark is bitter, cooling, antibacterial herb that controls coughs and lowers fevers blood pressures, and, bl uh, and blood cholesterol levels. 
It is taken internally for the treatment of chronic fevers. We're on the root bark at this point. Internal hemorrhages, nosebleeds, tuberculosis, coughs, asthma, and a long history of medicinal use, both as a general and energy-restoring tonic, also to cure a whole range of ailments, ailments from skin rashes to eyesight problems to diabetes. Um, a tonic tea is made from the leaves, the fruit, and many members of this genus are very rich in vitamins and minerals, especially in vitamins A, C, and E, flavonoids, and other bioactive compounds. It's also a fairly good source of essential fatty acids, which is fairly unusual for a fruit. It is being investigated as a food that is capable of reducing the incidence of cancer and is also a means of halting and reversing the growth of cancers. This is a plant you can grow. Oh, by the way, you can cook the young shoots of it as a vegetable. This is a plant you can grow in all but the hottest and coldest areas of the United States. It propagates easily from seed. Somebody out there should be starting these things every fall from seed, keeping them warm in a, green, a heated greenhouse, and selling them like crazy into local markets because it would sell like mad. It's something with no competition, and it is an incredible thing. So incredible that you know, you know, your typical network marketing ripoffs that want to make a, a you know a power juice have made juices containing this berry at, to tout its health benefits. And while I don't ascribe to the network marketing model, many of them do, in fact, have very good products based in science, uh, and then they just overprice them to fund you know, paying out a, a six-level pyramid. Uh, so we, we actually can learn a lot by some of the nutritional work that's been done in that space, and wolfberry or goji berry is an incredible, incredible tonic. And again, this is a plant you can grow. And this is a plant that has the ability to be propagated quite easily and uh, has kind of a look to it that most people wouldn't really realize what it is. It's a food and a medicine all rolled up in one, and that's why maybe you should consider it for growing on your property. Next one up is valerian. Valerian is also known as all heal or heal all. That should tell you that it's got quite a track record as a medicinal. It has a great flower, and it flowers for the you know, the beginning part of summer, so it has a lot of uh, uh, action that brings in a lot of predatory insects and things like that, and it looks really nice. It's a, it's a good-looking herb as well, so it fits into a garden, but yet it has enough of a wild look because it's a wild plant that you know it doesn't really draw a lot of attention to it. I'm going to also read, because this one is so, so, it's got so much history and so much well-known uh, fact onto its abilities that I'm going to read directly again on Valerian from Plants for the Future uh, database. Valerian is a well-known and frequently used medicinal herb that has a long and proven history of effect, uh, efficacy. It is noted especially for its effect as a tranquilizer and a nervine, meaning it's, nervine is calming. Okay, those are those actions again. Particularly for those people suffering from nervous overstrain, valerian has been shown to encourage sleep, improve sleep quality, and reduce blood pressure. It is also used internally in the treatment of painful menstruation cramps, hypertension, and irritable bowel syndrome. It should not be prescribed for patients with liver problems. Okay, get that. There's some things it shouldn't do, and that's true of all these. And again, I'm going to clarify this one more time. I'm not saying you should go out and start eating all this stuff. I'm suggesting here's a starting point for researching. Check guides, check facts, check with master herbalists, whatever you have to do. Be sure it's safe for your use. So I'm going to tell you, though, here, but valerian, if you have liver problems, you don't use this. Externally, it's used to treat eczema, ulcers, and minor injuries. The root is antispasmatic. It's carmative. That means it's calming. It's diuretic, which means it encourages peeing. Uh, it's hypnotic. It's a powerful nervine sedative and a stimulant. So you've got something that's both a sedative and a stimulant, depending on how it's used and what condition that the body's in. The active ingredients are called valoprites. Uh, research has confirmed that these have a calming effect on agitated people, but are also a stimulant in cases of fatigue. So you get that. So a person that's agitated and tweaked out, maybe me after a Friday show, a little bit of valerianism today might not be a bad idea, but a person who's fatigued would find it stimulating. That's, that's kind of a miracle plant in my view. The roots of two-year-old plants are harvested in autumn once the leaves have dried down and used fresh or dried. The fresh root is about three times as effective as the roots dried at 40 degrees. The report does not specify if this is a centigrade or Fahrenheit. Whilst temperature above 82 degrees 
uh, destroy the active principles in the root. Use with caution. See the notes above on toxicity. So there are some concerns with toxicity, and anything that's going to be highly effective may have some uh, toxicity issues. So I'm going to read to you the toxicity warning. It said that prolonged medicinal use of this plant can lead to addiction. A course of treatment should not exceed three months. Adverse effects can include headaches, giddiness, nausea, excitability, and agitation, and heart palpitations, which are rare. Insomnia, which is rare. Do not take with other sedatives, including alcohol, or before driving. Alertness, or any time when alertness is required. So, this is a sedative. And like any sedative, a person, even though it's natural, could become dependent upon it. Uh, but it's, you know, about using it for... Um, for uses that are appropriate and time frames that are appropriate and some common sense. But this is something, again, you can grow this in your backyard. This is a pharmacy in a single plant. There's a reason it's called Heal All or All Heal. So the uh, the next one I have up for you is called Soapwort. And Soapwort does have some medicinal uses internally that I'm not going to talk about because it's very irritative and there are certain concerns with it from a toxicity standpoint. Um, it, it also has some topical uses as well. I'm not really going to dig into those either. I'm going to say this is one of those things, if you want to experiment with it uh, in, in those realms, it would be better that you do some of your own research on. Uh, what I actually really like about soapwort, though, is, again, we hear wort, we know that it has a medicinal property, and soap, so a soapy medicinal property. And that means it's actually excellent for making shampoos and, and skin washes and things like that. And I think that's where it really um, does the best for us. You can actually get soap uh, by boiling the whole plant, but the roots will do even more for you. And then it's like a gentle, effective cleaner used uh, on delicate fabrics. So you can use this to wash clothing. Uh, and you can also use this as a soap for yourself. So uh, used in, in high concentrations, it can be somewhat irritative, but in general, it's a pretty gentle cleanser overall. Uh, I've seen one lady, at least on uh, YouTube, basically make uh, some soap or shampoo or, or hair rinse for herself out of it. So you've got something here where you're actually able to, uh, to make your own soap now, this is not like a lathery soap-like dial or something like that, but a gentle cleanser that's actually quite effective. And again, it's a, it's, you know, it's a pretty pink flower. It, it attracts a lot of beneficial insects. It looks kind of wild. It blends in. Uh, and it's just another thing that you can add to uh, a useful uh, a garden or a useful guerrilla garden project or, or what have you. And if you think about the fact of how much work there goes into actually making soap, um, I'll just say it's a good thing that soap's easy to store if we ever have a long-term grid-down scenario. But having a plant that can fill that role, and again, this is not a, a detergent-level soap. This is a gentle cleansing soap, but it does work quite effectively. Next up, I have one that, especially if you live in the eastern United States, it's probably already growing in your yard or in your neighbor's yard or in a meadow down the street or something like that, uh, plantain or plantain. And uh, there's... Uh, there's different people that pronounce that one different ways. To me, I always say plantain, uh, and I think it's because it's just growing up, and, and most of the people that I've ever talked to about it uh, call it plantain versus plantain. And to me, a plantain's a green banana. Uh, but they are spelled the same way. Uh, this one I can say the Latin uh, version of, plantago major, is the, is the specific plantain uh, that I'm talking about here. And uh, it's a common weed. I mean, it's everywhere. And except where it seems to be like it doesn't want to grow where I live anymore. This is one that I learned about very, very young. I remember my grandfather when I was a young boy. I think I was about 10 years old on vacation before we moved to Pennsylvania permanently. We're still living in Florida. I was on vacation at this place in Pennsylvania. He had hurt his finger pretty bad, and he had a pretty nasty cut on it. And I remember him taking me out into the yard and wrapping plantain leaves around his finger and putting a Band-Aid over it. And I remember watching that wound heal very, very quickly. Uh, and it had actually he had kind of ignored it and had got infected, and he showed me it, by doing this not only did it heal faster, but also did a pretty good job of drawing out the infection. Um, so that's one personal use that I know that it works very well. Uh, another one is when I was at Ben Falk's about a year ago, and you guys will have to excuse the dogs barking in the background, any noise it might pick up through the rest of the show. we got painters here today, and I'm doing the best I can with this. That's why I might seem a little distracted. But I was up there, and I walked out of his studio, 
They had a beautiful uh, little flower garden right outside of it, and there were, you know, echinacea plants and all kinds of great flowers and lemon balm and all, and there were all types of wasps in it. And uh, I bumped the thing as I went by, and I guess I hacked off a, a, a red wasp uh, that immediately stung the back of my calf. And, and a big old red wasp, you know, it, it hurts when they sting you. I was like, son of a gun, you know, and I walked over and, and looked down in the, in the grass, and right there's a, is a plantain plant, and uh, picked up about four leaves of it and uh, macerated it up so that it had some of its juices out, put it on the, uh, the bite, and it was low enough on my calf that by pulling my sock up, I was able to hold it on with my sock, and I'd say the relief from the, the sting was immediate, and within 15 minutes, uh, there was no redness or swelling whatsoever. The only thing that remained was there was a very clear hole, uh, you could see a hole where the where the bite initiated. Otherwise, you wouldn't have even known that I had been stung. And a lot of times, you have a bite like that being quite swollen, you know, 15 minutes after you've experienced it. So I know for a fact that this thing works for things like that. It's been used for respiratory and gastrointestinal problems as well, like asthma and bronchitis. And di it's also been used for diarrhea. It's helpful with bladder problems and ulcers. It's used externally on the skin uh, for problems including ringworm and shingles and uh, varicose, varicose ulcers. So that, that seems to line up with what I saw my grandfather use it as far as an infected wound on his finger. Uh, if you squeeze fresh leaves on insect bites, it relieves stings and pain and itching almost immediately according to uh, Sand Mountain Herbs, which is uh, something, again, I've just corroborated for you. Now, on top of all that, it's a really nutritious wild edible. It goes good in salads. You can add it with stir fries with other greens. It, it's pretty benign. There's no real big uh, warnings about toxicity with it on any level. With one exception, if you if you take really, really high doses of it, I mean, you'd have to do a lot, but it can happen. It can create a fall in blood pressure. Uh, so it can lower blood pressure to dangerous levels if used as, like, I don't know, I, I, I think you'd have to pretty much be, uh, be living on it. It's not that great tasting uh, that you would probably want to eat that much of it anyway. I've also seen people harvest the seeds. It gets these tall uh, seed stems. And they're actually very high in protein, so it has a lot of valuable that way. Uh, the root uh, has been used uh, as well. It's actually been used for uh, treatment of the bite of a rattlesnake. I don't think I would rely on it for that, but uh, I guess if you had no other choice, it couldn't hurt. And uh, the seeds, in addition to having a, uh, a uh, use for a protein source, if you were to use them straight up, they really have a laxative effect as well. Uh, and um, distilled water uh, used with the plant and made into a... Uh, uh, a wash is actually a good eye wash. So this is a plant, again, that's a weed that's available in most of the United States without even planting it, uh, that has just this huge pharmac pharmacopoeia of uses, and yet it's inedible, and it's gentle, and it's safe, and unless you're going to go out and eat it like you're a cow, you're probably not going to have any problems with it. If you do have any sensitivity or concerns with really lowering blood pressure, it's something to look at. Uh, and make sure you talk to a doctor about it or what have you. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just giving you my opinion of this stuff. But uh, it's something that I've consumed throughout my entire life, and I've never had any issues with it. And, you know, something that has a, a blood pressure lowering effect in moderation is probably good for most of us. So uh, there's my thoughts on plantain or plantain, depending on how you want to pronounce it. But I think it belongs in everybody's backyard. Uh, the next one I have for you is called sorrel, and uh, sorrel's been widely used as a vegetable for uh, ever, uh, specifically known well for sorrel soup. I'm going to go ahead and give you the warning up front, and I think that oxalic acid warning has been grossly exaggerated in uh, the modern nanny state, honestly. Plants contain quite high levels of oxalic acid, which is what gives the leaves and many members of this genus an acid lemon flavor. Perfectly all right in small quantities, the leaves should not be eaten in large amounts due to the oleic acid lockup of other nutrients in food, especially calcium, thus causing mineral deficiencies. The oleic acid content will be reduced as the plant is cooked. People with a tendency to rheumatism, arthritis, gout, kidney stones, or hyperacidity should take a special caution if reducing this plant into their diet since it can aggravate their conditions. Um, this would also be true of other weeds that we eat all the time, like purslane, the same concerns. 
Uh, again, I think this has been hugely overrated by the powers that be, but you got to cover your ass anymore. Um, most of these things that have these these toxicity levels, um, they they're in the line in the vein of like rabbit poisoning. You know, rabbit, you eat rabbits too many rabbits, get too much protein, you're gonna die. Well, the people that had problems with eating too much rabbit starvation is what they called it. We're living on nothing but starving rabbits in the mountains and nothing else. So the rabbits starving, they're eating the starving. Say. It's the same type of thing. Most of these situations where people have these problems, they're living in such a, a sparse area that they use it as... A, I, I don't know anybody that would use sorrel as a primary source of your dietary calories. But sorrel soup is sure awesome. Absolutely awesome, especially in the springtime. Um, and that's what it's most famous for. It is a succulent, so it's got kind of a mucilous, you know, like consistency to it uh it's great in salads used just as raw leaves and if you keep if you pinch the flowers off you'll keep the leaves tender for later in the year now there's a lot of sorrels there's sheep sorrel and things like that i'm talking about garden sorrel here that's the particular type i'm talking about again i'll have a link in the show notes to a page about it where you can get the scientific name and all the uh, common names that it's used. It's hardy zones 4 through 8. Again, so most of the country, it grows in soils that are pretty weak, uh, comparatively speaking, to a lot of other things that we would grow. Uh, so it has all of those uses for it. Now, what about its uses medicinally? Because that's what today's show is really supposed to be about. So I'm going to just read the medicinal uses from the Plants for a Future database again for you. Fresh or dried leaves are astringent diuretic and laxative and a refrigerant or cooling right so they're cooling they help you go to the bathroom they have in both ways and they have an astringency or they tighten up body muscles that's what that means they're used to make a cooling drink in the treatment of fevers and are especially useful in the treatment of scurvy if it treats scurvy what is it rich in vitamin c the leaf juice mixed with fumarole has been used as a cure for itchy skin and ringworm the infusion of the root is astringent, diuretic, and hemostatic. Uh, there's a there's a dictionary word for you. Uh, that means hemostatic means to uh, to slow down or stop the flow of blood and blood vessels. It's been used in the treatment of jaundice, uh, gravel, and kidney stones. Uh, though I've read other places that it's never been proven effective for the treatment of jaundice at all. Uh, the roots and seeds have been used. Uh, uh, to stop hemorrhages of blood because of that effect that it's able to uh, actually stop blood flow. So this is another thing that maybe can stop bleeding uh, when used on external wounds. It's also, uh, it's also been used as a paste on bones that have been dislocated or broken and then reset. So when you, and I think actually some people have called it bone set before. So if you've had a dislocated joint, it's considered uh, quite useful toward the healing process after the joint, and I, I said broken, I meant actually dis, disjointed or dislocated. So if you've had a dislocated shoulder or something that after it's been properly set, uh, a, an ointment using sorrel is actually considered quite beneficial uh, for it as well. It's very easy to grow. It'll grow in many places. Many other things won't grow. Uh, you make soup out of it. You can add it to your salad, and it has all these medicinal uses. It's, again, something that we should consider adding to all of our gardens. The next one up is dun, 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 sage, a boring one, culinary herb, available in every spice rack, sage. Why do I include sage? Uh, whenever I do a show like this, I try to include at least one herb that everybody just thinks of as, oh, you use that for cooking when you make turkey or something like that. And sage is actually great on poultry. Chopped sage uh, rubbed into the breast uh, skin of a, of a turkey when you when you do your Thanksgiving turkey just is incredible, both in flavor and aroma. Uh, but, see, the thing is, <laughs> a lot of these herbs that we think of as just being something to cook with actually have a lot of value to them. Uh, let me read you some, not all, some of the properties, the, the herbal actions uh, of sage. Uh, first of all, sage is an analgesic. Analgesic, what's that? That means it relieves pain. So it has pain-relieving properties. It has antibacterial properties, anti-cancer properties, antifungal properties, antioxidant properties. I'm figuring most people know what all of those are. Uh, it's astringent, which I've talked about before, so it has the ability to tighten muscles or create that pucker effect in muscles. Uh, it is also depurgative, 
What does that mean? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Depurative is, though, uh, it has the ability to eliminate toxins or to detoxify, uh, to purify. Uh, these are all things that sage does. It's also useful for assisting females with menstrual flow if they're having low menstrual flow or improper menstrual flow, and it's a nervine, which means it's calming. I mean, sage. Sage does all this, and it's a perennial. Uh, it has beautiful flowers. It's great at attracting beneficial insects. It just gets stronger and bigger year after year. If anything, uh, especially in southern climates, you're going to have to you know, prune it uh, to keep it becoming too large. Uh, really easy to grow and germinate. Uh, the plants are available in most stores if you want to buy pre-started plants. Hardy in zones 5 through 9. Um, it's great for cooking, too. I mean, it's uh, great on poultry, like I said, but it's also good with pork and duck. Um, sausage is wonderful when you add sage to it. So if you're making your own sausage, sage is one very traditional uh, use. Uh, or one, one, one very traditional use for sage is including it in sausages. And I won't say much more on it other than, um, you know, uh, it, it's just amazing to me. And I, I want you to realize that if I started talking about just culinary herbs, most of them would have a laundry list of these gentle actions. And they have these, these properties that these other traditionally medicinal herbs have, but they're much gentler. And again, if we start including these fresh herbs in our cooking and our eating and our salads and everything else and our teas, we start to have this gentle effect that, you know, naturally our bodies are meant to have. This is true of things like oregano. Uh, this is true of things like chives and garlic chives and rosemary, uh, thyme. All of these things are, are quite beneficial to us. So I always try to put at least one in there for you in this time around at Sage. You know, a lot of the herbs that I talk about today are things that, you know, medical science kind of poo-poos and all and says, well, it doesn't really work. Or it works, but it doesn't work as well as, you know, our, our dope does, basically, uh, because they are gentler, gentler acting. But some herbs have really been looked at by even modern science, and if you get an open enough mind and open enough minded study, they say, yeah, that, that works. And, uh, you know, in fact, most of their pharmaceuticals are at least in, in the root based on plants in the first place and then synthesized so that they can patent them and make, you know, ridiculous sums of money while doing harm with side effects that they treat with other drugs that make, you got the, the thing there. But, but there is, you know, this one here has been widely accepted by science. It's called feverfew. It's gained a great reputation as a medicinal herb and extensive, uh, extensive research since 1970 has proved it to be of special benefit to the treatment of certain types of migraine headaches and rheumatism. So it's got a great track record of that. It also has um, a hazard warning. This is something you don't use feverfew during pregnancy or if you're having any problems with bleeding. So you're having any co coagulation problems. Uh, you don't use it when you have oral ulcers of any kind or gastrointestinal disturbances, uh, and if you are using it for headaches and stop taking it, it can basically create rebound effect, which would be true of aspirin. In fact, a lot of ways, if you look at feverfew, it actually, in many ways, is a lot like aspirin in the concerns that you have around it because of its of it, the way that it, it actually, it, it, what's the word I'm looking for? It thins the blood a little bit. That, that's the best way I could put it. So that's a useful thing, but it's an important thing to know. Um, as far as why you're not supposed to use it during pregnancy, uh, it's been suggested by research that there's at least the, the potential for feverfew to harm an unborn child uh, in vitro. So that's, that's certainly a problem. I think, personally, I'm just guessing here, I'm out on a limb with this, so it's just my opinion, that it may have more to do with the blood thing effects than anything else. I, I pretty much look at feverfew as being in the same category with risks associated with it as aspirin or Tylenol or ibuprofen. It has many of the same attributes, and it has far less effect. It's also the case that one thing we have to consider with these toxicity warnings and things like that is look at the historical use. How often was it used, 
and what form was it used. And there's a big difference between getting a bottle of something that's been concentrated and using it gently uh, in small amounts here and there as necessary. So a lot of these warnings are somewhat mitigated by that. But to cover my ass in case somebody goes out and eats like four pounds of something, again, I have to point out this is something to consult uh, with an expert on before you choose to use any of these things in your own body. I'm just trying to expose you to their uses today and to make you aware that they're they're out there. But the, feverfew is great because it looks like little daisies. And so it's a beautiful plant. It's uh, it, it, it's a great plant as far as attracting insects. Looks nice in the garden, and it has all of these medicinal properties as well. Um, the next one I'm going to tell you, though, that I, I completely disagree with the establishment on, because this plant's been used internally by people for 10,000 years. And unless, again, you're going to fill up a bucket of it and eat it every day, and I don't know who the hell would do that with this plant because it's not that freaking appetizing, uh, you're, you're probably not going to have a problem, and that's comfrey. Comfrey is an incredible di- I'm going to start with just all of the things this plant does. I could probably do a show on comfrey. Uh, comfrey is a dynamic accumulator of many minerals, and that means that it has a deep taproot. It's able to go down in the soil and get a lot of minerals that other plants need but can't access, bring them to the surface, put them into their leaves, and when it goes through its winter cycle and drops its leaves to the ground or it's consumed by an animal and pooped out, those minerals become available to other plants. That's what dynamic accumulation is. It is a freaking miracle of nature, and half of the plants that you see out uh, around you, more than half the plants, without other plants providing dynamic accumulation, would not even be able to exist. It is the fastest way in the world that you can create protein in vegetative matter. Nothing can compete with comfrey in, in being a source of protein. Uh, again, it's not something you want to live on. The, the, the problem uh, is there are, uh, there are alkaloids found in the roots. And it's reported that they can cause liver damage when consumed over a long period of time. So again, this is how much comfrey are you eating when. Where it has a lot of benefit from a protein source is if it's, if it's in a pasture and you have ruminants eating it and they're getting comfort here and there, trust me, they'll eat it. They'll tell, you know, they'll go out there and they'll, they'll find it. Uh, it. It's a great protein boost and mineral boost for them. And again, it's a great way to help remineralize the soil. So it has a lot of use that way. Um, you can find history of this plant being used forever. Uh, as long back as there's written record about herbs being used, you'll find humans using comfrey. And it's why I think that there's some sort of irrational uh, warfare being committed on this plant. And I, I don't really get it. I'm uh, going to uh, read from you from Coe's Comfrey, the, the site that I mentioned that I bought a bunch of comfrey roots from at the beginning of today's show. Comfrey is a high-yield, high-protein perennial that is superior compost, fodder, food, and remedy. It can be dried for hay or crumbles, pelletized, and also used for silage. Versatile fresh leaves are your main crop. With increasing animal feed costs and protein prices jumping even higher, you'll benefit from having this perennial security of comfrey, extraordinarily high-yield use for economic animal food. Uh, so, you know, that's what I was trying to say, that it has this, this high-protein yield. So just to protect myself from overactive lawyers, again, I'm reading from Coast Comfrey's website here. And uh, I, I really like this guy and think you guys should give him some business. Comfrey, the legendary herb of life. Nature's best way of providing high protein, 22 to 33%. Vitamins A, C, B12, very drought resistant. Rich in silicon, calcium, potassium, phosphorus, iron, iodine, and trace minerals. Uses a folk remedy for thousands of years. Very high in food value for animals. World record yield of over 140 tons per acre. This huge biomass has great potential for compost, methane gas, and alcohol fuel. Comfrey is the greatest producer of vegetable protein and the fastest protein builder on earth. Acre for acre, it can yield 20 times the protein soybeans do. Though suppressed in the USA, comfrey is widely grown throughout the world as a food for cattle, goats, horses, pigs, sheep, and most any animal you can think of that eats vegetation. From earthworms to fish to birds to mammals and humans, comfrey is used as food and medicine. Um, so, you know, that's, that is the, 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 the historical truth about comfrey. Um, it has a tremendous amount of uses, and it is an incredible fertilizer plant. Um, it is considered illegal to sell it for food or to eat, to recommend it be consumed in the United States of America. I'm not recommending you consume it. What I'm telling you is I think the warnings about it, from my personal opinion, are 100% bullshit.
I really do. And I think that if you if you ate a freaking bowl of comfrey every day for 20 years, could it damage your liver? Probably. Maybe in five years. I don't know. But again, I don't know who would use it that way. Uh, this seems to be completely retarded, and I'm not even sure that that's the case. But I highly recommend that you grow and use comfrey. It has um, a lot of medicinal uses where you can use it topically, which means on Uh, the skin. So let me tell you a little bit about that before we move on to the next one. So what has been traditionally used mostly for externally is you make a poultice out of it. And it's very good for reducing inflammation uh, to soothe and, and, and heal wounds. So it's incredibly good for that. Um, it's also uh, been very effective with sprains and, and bruising as well. And any type of external use for uh, reducing inflammation And uh, it's also quite useful to help draw infections out of wounds made into a salve with other things. Uh, a, a salve made primarily with calendula and comfrey is incredibly good for uh, treating wounds. Um, it's not recommended for oral use. But let me tell you what it's been used for orally traditionally and continues to be used for around the world traditionally. Um, It's been used for ulcers. Uh, this is internally now. So we know you can use it externally for this, but this is internally. Ulcers, fractures, bruises, diarrhea, cough, bronchitis, and gum disease. Uh, comfrey leaves are considered a being of high value of external remedy. The whole plant has been considered excellent to soothe pain in any tender and flowing body part. It was formerly applied to raw uh, indolent uh, ulcers as a glutinous astringent. It is useful in any kind of inflammatory swelling. I think that, again, it's you're going to have to make your own mind up with how you use comfrey. Uh, I am not recommending it internally because I can't. I'm just telling you, again, I think the entire thing is complete bullshit. I'd love to get the guy from Coast Comfrey on because I know this is a big deal for him just based on some of the material that he sent along with it. And uh, I, I, I just think that this is a wonder plant. It's absolutely a wonder plant, and it belongs in every backyard. It belongs in every pasture. It belongs in every garden. And you know, on that note, there's there's tons of herbs that I can cover, and I could definitely put together no show like this, and I'm going to have to cut this one short. I've got a guest standing by for an interview in 15 minutes. I've had to use windows of opportunity here with the noise from the painters to get this show done, and it's uh, it's very late in the day now at this point, and I've already pushed my guests out 45 minutes to get this show done for you. So we're going to wrap here at an hour. I had four more uh, herbs to cover, and instead of giving you them you know, one by one, what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave them in the, the, the show notes so that you can look them up and learn about them on your own. And I'll, I'll put them into a show on herbs, and maybe I'll do another show on herbs next week because I love doing this. I, I'm going to apologize, too, here. I don't think I did as good a job for you as I, as I could have done today. I know I might have seen a little bit like off in timing or stammering here and there, but basically I've been, every time the air compressor comes on, pausing and coming back into the show uh, because of these painters that are in our house, and this work just has to be done this week. So uh, I apologize for that. But the other four herbs to consider adding are dandelion, echinacea, Roman chamomile, and lemon balm. And lemon balm is a really easy one to grow and a great one. I highly recommend it. Roman chamomile, there's two types of chamomile. There's German and Roman. Both of them are very close to each other in their properties and how you use them. But Roman chamomile, unlike German chamomile, isn't an annual. It's a perennial, so it'll come back for you. Echinacea, I think everybody's heard about that one. I wanted to talk about um, what you got to do to be able to use it uh, without having it concentrated in the way that you would get it from a store. But it does have some properties like that. It's a great plant for your garden. And dandelion is just so awesome because it's already everywhere in most instances. And I don't think most people know the immense amount of medicinal properties and edible properties of dandelion. So those are four more. There'll be seed sources for all of them and all the other plants we talked about today uh, in the, uh, the show notes for today's episode. Hopefully this is expanding to your vantage point on what can be done with growing herbals in your own backyard. And with that, this is the Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this 
Revolution is you.